Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. I'm certainly honored to be standing here and to teach this morning, teaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. Pastor A has just been such a blessing to me, and I've enjoyed this series that we've been going through. Those of you that have been able to be with us recently, we've been doing a series that's entitled Life Outside the Box. How do we handle things when our life sometimes gets crushed, when things go maybe in a different direction than we possibly had anticipated? Some of the individual Bible characters that we have covered, we've taught upon Elijah, Mary, Joseph, Peter, Jesus. And last week, Pastor did a fantastic message on Jonah. And as he mentioned today, I'm going to be speaking on David. And you have a very fair question. You may be asking, what can someone who lived more than 3,000 years ago teach us about our heart and our life today? During David's time here upon the earth, 950 to 1050 BC, Israel was in a state of decline. Previously, they'd been led by judges and they were making the transition now to be led by a king. They were in disillusionment. The Bible says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It was lawlessness. Kind of reminds me a little bit of something that we're even facing today. And then they were facing some real danger. They had the Philippines that were constantly upon them. You know, the Old Testament uses 66 chapters to tell his story. David is mentioned more than 59 times in our New Testament. He has his shining moment, of course, when he defeats Goliath. But he also has his personal defeat in his sin with Bathsheba. But what I love about David, the Bible says that he is a man after God's own heart. He is the second most person mentioned in the Bible other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to start here part one in a sense. We're going to talk about who is David. The Bible says our story is a tale that is told. So there's different chapters in his life. And before we get to part two about David encouraging himself in the Lord, I just want to review his life a little bit. First of all, David was from the tribe of Judah. Saul, the first king of Israel, was from the tribe of Benjamin. Israel, as I mentioned, was moving They had been under what we would call a theocracy. God would rule. God would speak to the prophet. The prophet would come to them and tell them what to do. The judges would be leading the nation of Israel. The judges were military leaders. But the nation of Israel wanted to be like all the other nations. And they wanted to have king just like everybody else. And they were warned what would happen if that would take place. But still Saul was chosen and he was the first king. Of Israel. However, because of his disobedience, intentional disobedience, 
David is anointed and would become the second king of Israel. Secondly, David was the youngest of eight brothers. Now, I want to share something with you that when Beverly and I arrived here in Tucson, it was in 1974. I forgot to get permission to do this, so I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. But we also had the privilege of meeting a wonderful family, and that was the Wilbur family. And that was John and Winona and seven sons. Now, John has been promoted to heaven, and one of the brothers, Jim, is in heaven as well. But all seven, all seven of them came up through my high school ministry here. So I got to see how the brothers interacted with one another. And I could see the tension sometime in the family. I could see the chaos sometimes in the family. It was great watching this. So that's my mind when I was thinking about David and the brothers that he has. But you know, we also have a young couple here, Alex and Stacy Roy. They have nine children. Eight, eight are boys and one little girl. And I'm thinking, all those meals... That's like Thanksgiving every day when you think about it. <laughs> all that laundry, all that's going on, the pandemic of them having their children be able to go to school and so on. Their life was crushed outside that box, obviously. We need to pray for this couple because they're trying to rear their children, just like John and Winona did, and their kids grew up, and they accepted Christ, and they're serving Christ and loving Christ, and that's what they're striving to do for their family as well. But David here, he was the youngest of eight brothers. David was also from Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2 verse 4 tells us, Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And then David was anointed to become king. We know, I shared with you earlier, that Saul was deliberately disobedient. So the kingship is completely removed from him, and God is going to choose someone else to place him. And here was the result of what Saul did. 1 Samuel 15, 26. Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Samuel He's in distress. He's upset. This, this is the man that he had anointed to be the king of Israel. They were just moving from that theocracy to now where the king was going to rule. He feels responsible. We look in 1 Samuel 16.1 and says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Then he was given some very specific instruction. Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So he goes there, and he's done this before. He, he had anointed Saul to become the king. So the first son from Jesse walks in, and the Bible tells us there in verse 6, It came to pass when they were come that he looked on Elam, and he said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed before me, handsome young man, tall, strong. But God said, No, it's not him. This is what God warned Samuel about. And sometimes we have to be careful of this too. 
Sometimes we look at the outside of a person. We don't understand what's taking place inside. Listen to what God says. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, for I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And then we discover, they go through all those seven brothers there, and then the eighth one, the youngest one, the one that they constantly picked on, possibly, the one that's out taking care of the sheep. And David comes in in verse 13. The Bible says, Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. They've been picking on him all these, and all of a sudden, he's the one that's getting anointed, and he's going to be the king. And the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Oh, so he is anointed. And now listen, this is 15 years before that is fulfilled. So he's anointed. It's going to be 15 years before he assumes the kingship there. And I want to point this out too. This stands out to me. He was anointed to be king before he faces Goliath. Why is that so important? Because it said the spirit of the Lord was upon him. Next we see that David was a shepherd. Oh, he took time and he fed the sheep. He led the sheep. He protected the sheep. That's very much what a pastor does for a congregation today. To lead us and to feed us and to guide us. His training as a shepherd prepared David to become Israel's greatest king. The scripture tells us in Psalm 78, verse 70, He chose David, also his servant, took him from the sheepfold, from the following of the ewes, great with young. He brought them to feed Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. So he fed them, it says, according to the integrity of his heart. He guided them. He learned as a shepherd. We also discover that David was a musician. We shared earlier about King Saul and how he was disobedient. Because he was disobedient, the scripture says, the spirit left him. Because the spirit left him, there was an evil spirit that would come upon him. And he would be distressed and depressed and discouraged. And the only way that he was able to overcome that was through music. Listen to 1 Samuel 16, 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And then it says, And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp, and he played with his hand. And the scripture says, Saul was refreshed as well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Now I invite your attention to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We come now probably to one of the greatest stories in the Bible, most of the well-known stories. It's, there's a sport analogy. Sometimes there's a business analogy. David versus Goliath. And we know the story of Goliath. Goliath stood nine feet, nine inches tall. If you ever walk into a gymnasium and you look up and you see the basketball goal there, that's 10 feet. That is approximately how tall Goliath was. 
The armor that he would wear weighed over 175 pounds. They estimate probably his girth and height, he weighed more than 500 pounds. He would take a spear, just the very tip of the spear, not the total spear, but the very tip of it weighed as much as a bowling ball. So he was a military man. This is how he grew up from a youth. This is what he did was battle. And we're in the 41st day that Goliath is challenging the nation of Israel. Join me there, the Valley of Elah, 1 Samuel 17, verse number 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? They're in the, this valley. Israel's on one side. Philistines are on the other side. They've got their armor on. They've got their swords. They've got their spears, their horses, their chariots, whatever. They're arrayed as though they're going to go to battle. He says, I'm not I a Philistine, you servants to Saul. Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And who should that have been that would have come down and fought him? It should have been King Saul. The scripture teaches us that King Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone else. So he's the most likely candidate for their nation and their army to come down and to battle their champion. Saul's not having any part of it. Next verse. If you be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants? But if I prevail against you and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed, greatly afraid. Now David comes on the scene. His father has sent him there to bring food to his brothers. And he's to find out how the battle is going. So David arrives on this 41st day. He hears this challenge by Goliath that's defying the living God. And no one's taking up the challenge. And David says in chapter 17, verse 29, David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Sometimes we have to stand for things. Is there not a cause? Continuing on in verse number 33. David wants to go and to fight Goliath. And this is the king's counsel unto him. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, he a man of war from his youth. David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. When he rose against me, I caught him by his beard, smote him, and slew him. You can get that image in your mind. He's out there in those cloudless nights, those starlit nights, where he's written many of the psalms that we have in our Bible. And a lion comes along, or a bear comes along, and grabs one of the sheep, steals it away. He chases it down, and he's not afraid to chase and to put them to death. The servant slew both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one as them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, 
out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, the Lord be with you. Later in that chapter, it says, The battle belongs to the Lord. Now notice verse 38. Saul was the one that should have went down and fought Goliath. He steps away from that responsibility. Besides, he's going to enhance and to help David. He tells us here in verse 38, And Saul armed David with his armor, put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. David girded his sword upon his armor. He essayed to go, for he had not proved it. David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off of him. Rigo, would you step up here, please? Rigo is a young man that's been attending our church. He's a senior in high school. And I want to share with you that last year, he was responsible in getting Bibles into the students and having Bible studies with our youth directors there and different things. And, and God has spoken to him, and he's, he's been helping here around our church some. But you know what he's been doing recently? He's been going out to the mall with some of his friends, and they'll go to the food, food court, and they'll purchase the meal for someone. And then they sit down and they talk to them, and they try to spirit to lead it towards spiritual matters. The other night, he and some of his friends took care of a lady. Another group took care of a man, and it was a husband and wife. They didn't know about it. It was so amazing. Why I've asked you up here, how tall are you? Five, six, five, seven. Okay, this is about the height of David. But Saul took his armor and put it upon David. Now, when I asked you to step up here, I reminded you that David had red hair. But you chose not to do that. Correct, sir. Now you say, wow. Now, we're not laughing at you. I'm not making fun of you. Why am I telling you this? He cannot wear my armor. I cannot wear his. You have to wear your own armor. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us about our armor the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, loins girt about with the truth. We have on our feet shod with the gospel. We have the shield of faith, and we have the sword of the Lord. Which part of the body is not covered? The back. You can never turn your back upon the enemy. Just as the lion and the bear came and took the sheep, if you turn your back upon the enemy, he's going to throw those darts at you. You will be defeated. Thank you. I do get my jacket back. Though. Okay. Let's thank Rigo. Thank you very much. Thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord. Thank you for your willingness to be a witness and to share Christ with others. But let me encourage you. Be sure each and every day that you strap your armor on. So David sets that aside. Now he's going to go and he's going to face Goliath. And we know the story. He has a sling and he picks up five smooth stones. Why does he pick up the five smooth stones? Theologically, you know this. Because Goliath had four brothers. So he was ready. He was prepared. 
He was going to defeat Goliath. Join me in verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day the Lord will deliver thee into mine hand. I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And we know that that takes place. He comes down. He doesn't shy away. He actually runs toward Goliath. He takes the sling. He releases the stone. The stone lands the only place the armor that Goliath did not have, right here in the center of his forehead. The Bible says he fell face forward. In my mind, imagination, God just kind of knocked him over. Now David's there and he doesn't have a sword. So what's he going to do? Well, he takes Goliath's sword and he ends his life with his Goliath's own sword. He keeps that sword as a memorial and as a memory of the victory that he had in his life. For the balance of time and so on, we're going to fast forward a little bit. Yes, we know the story of David and Goliath. And probably the most other story that's well known is his sin with Bathsheba. The Bible tells us that it was springtime. And at that time, normally, the Bible said kings would go to war. David had removed on his rooftop. He looks across the way. He spies a woman that is bathing there, and he inquires who this is. His servant tells him that this is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. She pinpoints it. They pinpoint it. Let him know that she is married. David goes ahead and sends for Bathsheba, has her come spend the night with him. A few weeks later, Bathsheba reveals to him that she is pregnant. What's David going to do? David, now, he has lusted. He has committed adultery. He decides he's going to be deceptive, cover this up. And he sends for the husband, Uriah, brings him back from the battle, from the forefront, has him come and spend the day with him. They have food together. David is in hope that he'll go home and spend the night with Bathsheba so in the future it would look like it was Uriah's child. But Uriah is a warrior. He's, he's a man of war. He couldn't do that. He went down. He slept in the bunkhouse. He said, I can't go home and be with my wife when my men are sleeping in the field. Second night comes. David actually gets him drunk, tries to send him home again. He refuses to go. He sleeps in the bunkhouse again. And why do I tell you this story? Because we have the 23rd Psalm. It's one of the most beautiful psalms that we have in the Bible. I have conducted over 300 funerals. I would say that 99% of the time I have shared the 23rd Psalm. It is beautiful. But the same hand that took time to write that 23rd Psalm writes a letter. 
And the letter is given to the commander, Joab. And they're to take Uriah. They're to place him at the forefront of the battle. And they are to withdraw. So what's going to happen to Uriah? He's going to be killed. David commits lust, adultery, deception. Now he has committed murder. Time goes by after Uriah's died. David marries Bathsheba. Time goes along and he feels that he has escaped this. His sin is not going to be revealed. And Nathan comes to him and tells him a story. He says, David, there was a young farmer that has one little ewe lamb. And there's a rich farmer here. He has all kinds of cattle, sheep, all kinds of things. He comes next door to the poor farmer, takes his lamb, kills that lamb, and prepares it as a meal because he has a guest that is coming to visit him. David becomes wroth, and he announces a fourfold judgment upon that rich farmer. Nathan looks him in the eye and he says, Thou art the man. David realized that his sin had been exposed. And he goes, and here's your homework assignment, to read Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the story of David confessing his sin, of asking God to cleanse him, of asking God to forgive him. Now, I don't know who's under my voice today. You may be entrapped in an adulterous relationship. You may be facing something that's very tempting to you. You may be entrapped in drugs. You may be uh, entrapped in financial mismanagement. I don't know what's going on in your heart and life. But you know you're doing it, and you know it's wrong, and you want to get right with God. Take Psalms 51 and make that your prayer, and please come back to the Lord. Don't allow those giants in your life, pornography, whatever it is to defeat you. Be victorious in the Lord. Now we go to part two. This is the part here about encouragement and discouraging times. Join me in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire had taken the women captives that were therein they slew not any either great or small but carried them away and went on their way so David and his men came to the city and behold it was burned with fire their wives their sons their daughters were taken captives Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Verse 5 tells us that there were two wives of David that were taken. But notice verse 6. David was greatly distressed. The people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons, for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. And sometimes we need encouragement from the Lord. Encouragement in discouraging times. First of all, here's a little bit more of the background and the life of why he is here. 
King Saul was relentless. He was envious of David. He knew that David was to replace him. On three different occasions, he threw a javelin at David, even when he'd been playing the music and soothing him. He tried to eliminate him. He even sent out troops to capture him and to end his life. So David becomes weary of this. And David flees to the territory of the Philistines. This is Israel's sworn enemies. Listen to 1 Samuel 27. David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day under the hand of Saul. There is nothing better than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. He felt if he could go there, then Saul would quit chasing him. So he goes over to the enemy. He has 600 men in verse 2 that go with him unto Achish, the king of Gath. But I want you to capture this in verse 7. At the time David dwelt in the country of the Philistine was a full year and four months. Sixteen months. So David settles in Ziglag. What he would do, he and his army would go out and they actually would ravage the different cities around there. Yes, he was defeating Israel's enemies, but he would annihilate an entire town. This was going on 16 months. It's, it, seems, it seems atrocious to us. But he was safely away from Saul. So in his mind, life was good. But secondly, we speak about the disaster. They had been out on one of their raids, and they're returning. And they left their families there in Ziglag, and while they were out pillaging, the Amalekites come, and they raid Ziglag. They burn it to the ground. They take everyone captive. But fortunately, they weren't like David. They didn't kill anyone. They just captured them and took them with them. Do you know, sometimes in your heart and life, life can be uncertain. Oh, you can be enjoying success after success. Things are going along well. And then all of a sudden a problem comes in. We're reminded in, in our study when we did Job, kind of in a storm, or you're out of a storm, or get ready because one is coming. Job tells us, Job 14:1, man that is born of a woman is a few days full of trouble. Yet man is born into trouble, Job 5, 7, as the sparks fly upward. You've been at a camp out and you stir the fire, those sparks go up. You are going to face trouble. Now the men, they see the smoke. They have a stark realization of what has happened here. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 34, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. Let me ask you, when was the last time, the last time that you've wept to that degree? Usually as adults, we don't cry a lot. But I remember crying when my mom passed, or my dad, my brother. And there's been other occasions where I cried upon Beverly's shoulder. My heart was crushed. My life was crushed. You have been there. We've all been there. We've wept until there was no energy left. And that's where I come to verse 6. David encouraged himself in the Lord. But keep this in mind. David was away from the Lord, in my estimation there, those 16 months. No mention of God. No mention of prayer. No mention of songs. No mention of worship in the temple. 
He's out there by himself. He did it his way. But you know what I'm encouraged about? David made a right decision. We know that decisions have consequences, but David chose to come back to the Lord, just like you and I can. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's a verse maybe that you don't read often, but I'll tell it to you. It's Micah chapter 7, verse 19. Micah chapter 7, verse 19. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. Thou wilt cast all their sins, it says, into the depths of the sea. The phrase we use often, the sea of forgetfulness. Our sins have been placed there. And when the devil comes around and tries to stir them up, there's a sign that says, posted, no fishing allowed. He's not allowed to mess with us anymore. Our sins have been cleansed, they have been forgiven, and they've been cast into the sea. Now quickly, I want to give you five keys to help you find encouragement. First of all, remember God's faithfulness. Take time to review your life, the daily blessings that you have, the benefits, your family, your friends, your work, your career, your salvation, the church that you have to attend. And then God brings sometimes unexpected blessings and exceptional blessings. We have God's grace. He, he gives us what we don't deserve. And God's mercy, he protects us from things that we should receive. And it all hinges on that sweet relationship with him in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it says all these things will be added unto you. The sweetness of those blessings. Secondly, focus on who God is. God is omnipotent. It means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Omnipresent. He's always present. Here's another homework assignment. Those of you that are advancing your Christian life and walk, why don't you take some time to do a Bible study on the names of God? Listen to some of the names that are listed in the Bible for us. We have El Shaddai, Lord Almighty. El Elyon, the Most High God. Adonai, the Lord Master. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Tiskanu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. What a powerful God that we know, we love, and we serve. Can I get an amen there? And then thirdly, we praise him and we worship him. Psalms 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. Be ready instant, in season, out of season, to share the blessings that God has placed upon your heart and life. In Psalm 57, verse 7, My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and I will give praise. One of the Bible characters that we studied was Job. And you know the story of Job. The loss of his wealth, the loss of his cattle, the loss of his children, his life, the physical how he was treated. Listen to what Job says, Job 120. 
Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. Worshipped! After all that he experienced, after his life was completely squashed outside of the box, Job was able to worship. He said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God unfoolishly. So many people today are blaming God for this pandemic and all that's taking place in the world that's wrong. Let me tell you, God, you don't blame God. You blame sin. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, so death had passed upon all men. Why? For all have sinned. When Adam sinned, he opened up Pandora's box. All the death, the disease, everything that happens in this world that is bad and wrong is a result of sin and the father of lies. So do not charge God foolishly. Number four, continue to hope in God. Psalm 42, 5. Psalm 42, 11. Psalm 43, 5 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. And then fifthly, be willing to turn to the Lord. David was away from the Lord for 16 months. Let me tell you, no matter how far away you have walked from the Lord, with one step you can turn and be back in that right relationship with him. Coming back to the Lord. God hears his prayer. David recovers all that was taken and more there in 1 Samuel chapter 30. But as we move really to conclude our message here, if you were a judge and you could determine who would enter heaven, who would you allow? Now, keep in mind, there's going to be about three surprises in heaven. First of all, when you get there, you're going to be surprised by who is not there. You're going to be surprised by who is there. And then thirdly, some people are going to be surprised that you are there. <laughs> but let me help you out. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Those who miss heaven. Verse 9. This is a rough list. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You take the English Standard Version or something along the line, it's a top ten list, people that are immoral, people that worship idols, Someone that's unfaithful in their marriage. Someone that's a sexual pervert. Someone that's a homosexual. Someone that's a thief. Someone that's greedy. Someone that's a drunkard. Someone that's a cursor. Someone that is a cheater. Oh, that grabs you. But please, go with me to Revelation 21 and verse 8. I'm almost done. Please stay with me. This coming summer... 
the Lord willing, we'll celebrate 50 years of marriage, 50 years of ministry. I've only heard this applied maybe two or three times in all those years. Look with me in Revelation 21, verse 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving. Here in Revelation, that's listed before the top ten list that we kind of made up or shared. Fearful. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ and you're afraid maybe that you can't hold out. Maybe you're afraid that you've committed a sin or something that God could not forgive. Maybe you've been part of the church for years and years and years, but when you pillow your head at night, you know that you've never really truly trusted Christ. You're fearful. Or you could be here unbelieving, superior in your intellect, choosing not to believe the Bible. I have a dear friend that I've witnessed to and talked to and tried to engage in, but is convinced, no, the Bible is not true. By being fearful, unbelieving, you could possibly miss the entrance into heaven. Now, that top ten list I gave you, some of you said, whoa, wait a minute, Jim. There's two or three of those things I could check. David could check a lot of them. Let me share with you here another verse. That category can be changed. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. And such were. We have been changed. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away. But for this to take place, to overcome that fear, that unbelief, what am I asking you to believe? I'm asking you to believe that Jesus was virgin born, he lived a sinless life, he died upon the cross, he paid the penalty for the sins of the whole world, he was buried, he rose again, and one day he's coming back. And you have a recognition that you have sinned. And you're willing to confess your sins. And you're willing, as Romans 10 tells us, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that is your heart and your testimony this morning.